CBSSports.com. Again, it's now Sunday, February 1st. Welcome to February, everybody. And this is, of course, the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which has launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try the new Squarespace, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off that Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. I'm joined uh, for this episode by Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. And let's start with the biggest game of the weekend, which was Duke's crazy come from behind win at Virginia. Blue Devils are now 18-3 and overall. Virginia is now 19-1. and It means that Kentucky is the nation's only undefeated team. And who bounces back better than Duke? Lost to Miami earlier this year. Next game, win at Louisville. Lost at Notre Dame this past Wednesday. Next game, win at Virginia, even though Duke was a six-point underdog in the game. And who needs Rashid Suleiman? Pretty impressive, right, Norlander? Okay, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's rewind to our podcast from just a few days ago when we basically gave Duke almost, you know, no chance at winning this game. Uh, 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 let's actually rewind. Yeah, let's do it. But no, I can't do that right now. But here's, here, I, I think I remember this. I think I remember saying this. They've already won at Wisconsin. They've already won at Louisville. Yeah, I, yeah. I won't pick them to win, but it won't surprise me if they do. Yeah, yeah. There was some qualification going on sure. there. But I think it's fair. Uh, avid listeners of the podcast would have surmised that the three of us felt as though Virginia would win this game with a little bit of comfort. Because um, there was little reason to believe that Duke was gonna gonna pull it off, and you know what? The the thing is, like Duke gets the win, and they and they do it in a in a with a flurry of offense and great shooting in the final few minutes. But otherwise, you know, Virginia very much played the game it wanted to play. Um, but and this doesn't happen often to Virginia. In fact, that was uh, one of the I guess most successful. Um, Shooting percentage performances uh, by points per possession uh, any team's had against the Tony Bennett coach Virginia team ever. Um, but if you play the way that Virginia does, that's the one thing where y- you remain vulnerable because, you know, Tony's system, for as successful as it can be, if you tend with that pack line defense to get into games where you're winning 62 to 55, if, it doesn't happen often, but if you play a team like Duke that can get hot and they can just bury three or four or three pointers down the stretch, um, you're going to get stung, and that's what happened here. And by the way, that to me, that um, that Tyus Jones three that sealed it Woo. was like the ultimate no, no, no. Oh my God, it went in that ball <laughs> game. Like that was so ice. Yep. That was so nails. It was an awesome moment. Yeah, I mean, Sam, you were watching the game. I'm certain it it it, it felt like forget. How did that happen? Because that's what everybody was saying after the game or tweeting after the game. Like, what just happened? Whoa, what a performance from Duke. It felt like Virginia probably walked off that court going, what in the world just happened? I mean, it, it, I, don't, I didn't think. Like, I, I will say, I, like, I, I don't know what listeners would have uh, concluded from the podcast on Friday. I, I didn't think that Virginia would just go in and win comfortably. I mean, again, like that's a Duke team that I had ranked in the top five even before yesterday. Um, I, I thought it'd be a competitive game. Wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me if Virginia won comfortably, but – uh, the outcome didn't surprise me either, but the way it happened was surprising. I mean, when you go down double digits on the road to, you know, the number two team in the country, you're, you're probably, you know, in the final minutes, you're supposed to lose that game. And then, like, I felt like Virginia must have walked off that court. Tony must have walked off that court going, what? How, hold up. What just happened? Because we we were in control. We were, you know, the fans were celebrating. Um I'll tell you this, I start sometimes working on the top 25 and one, like throughout the day, just sort of, you know, uh, 
projecting, okay, this team's going to win, this team's going to lose. Change, go ahead and do just small stuff, like change the record, start looking at bodies of work. Mm-hmm. I had already changed Duke to a loss and Virginia to a win. And, yeah. uh, you know, just sort of working ahead. Like, I'm watching the game in my hotel in St. Louis, and I'm like, okay, um, this is the way this is going to go down. Now what do I do with Duke? Virginia stays number two. What do I do with Duke? I was sort of thinking in those terms. And then, you know, it's a Quinn Cook three, it's Tyus Jones three, and and then the buzzer sounds. I mean, don't you think, Sam, like Virginia probably is was a little – I don't know if shell shock's the right term, but something like that was a weird final few minutes. No, seriously. Like I think that Duke did something that has never happened under a Tony Bennett coach team at Virginia and probably will never happen again. They scored on 14 of their final 15 possessions and scored 35 points on those 15 possessions. Like that's something that I honestly do not think will ever happen again to a Tony Bennett coach team. Like it's just that, that much of an outlier, that much of a phenomenal Duke shooting performance. And a lot of it was, hey, like Duke got a lot of layups like right at the rim. They got more penetration on that pack line defense than probably anyone else has this year. And that's absolutely a credit to uh, to Duke, to Coach K, who really changed the momentum of that game by he kept switching up defenses every time that Virginia was down the floor. He had some in the three two zone. He had some in the two three zone. He went man a couple possessions. Like he he really changed the complexion and changed the way that game was going for uh, Duke by keeping switching, keeping uh, their defenses switched up and keeping Virginia on their toes on offense. And their offense led to or their defense led to some offense down the road. But at the same time, like I can't even. Like, I can't help but think that some of this is just a fluky thing that happened to... Oh, I think it very much was. Like, I team, like, yeah. No, like, like listen, all I think, credit to Duke, right. but, like, it's just, like, a weird phenomenon that I don't think will, like I said, ever happen again under Tony Bennett. No, it, it was fluky. And it doesn't mean that Duke isn't awesome or that Duke didn't deserve yeah. the win. But, like, Duke, you can be awesome and 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 be terrific and be down double digits in the second half at Virginia and still lose. I mean like the 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 way they were able to to erase that deficit and then um you know when I guess it was by two possessions was was I think among the most impressive things we've seen um you know in the entire season this year. I mean mm-hmm. I know I know Kentucky's had those games where they run Kansas off the court, run UCLA off the court. Hell they run almost everybody off the court, but um the the last whatever minutes of ten that minutes 10 plus. minutes of that Duke Virginia game were awesome. And is it just a reminder um on some level Norlanda that you can take a Rashid Suleiman off or any sort of piece off and you can drop them down to eight scholarship players or whatever it is now. But as long as you've got a Hall of Fame coach and three first round draft picks, like you're you still got a shot to do whatever it is you wanted to do. Yeah, I'll I'll kind of echo what I said um last week in that, yeah, no, definitely Duke is certainly still capable of winning the title. Uh I wouldn't count him out of that. I would still this win was huge. I still think there is a grand effect, um a, a minimal one, but still there that they won't have Suleiman over the course of the next, you know, fifteen games or so, however many they're gonna end up playing. But yeah, when you look at what the guys Duke is putting on the floor uh, in a game-by-game basis, they're absolutely capable of beating anyone, and I would absolutely include Kentucky in that. Um, I would still love to see this Duke team play Kentucky, if that's at all possible, down the road. Um, the loss at least makes it interesting from an ACC race perspective because Virginia not only loses its first game of the season, first conference game, but they drop it at home. So, I, you know, you think the Cavs are going to get picked off at least once on the road, maybe even twice. Um, 
And with North Carolina getting picked off, and I don't know if we're going to get to that, I assume we will, the way that they just blew it against Louisville, um, those two teams and Notre Dame all have two losses. Duke has three and is kind of in the hunt, but it, it might be too tough, I, th- I feel, for them to get it. But at least the ACC isn't a guarantee. I would still think Virginia's going to take it, but that was for, for the Virginia Cavaliers to have fallen on their home floor that way. Um, we'll have at least a little bit of intrigue, and now... If Duke is able to rally and get a few more big wins, we actually could come to a situation um, if the Blue Devils won the ACC tournament where we'd be debating which ACC team should get one seeds, and we'll see how the rest of the field plays out. But, you know, would Virginia and a Duke both be up for a one seed at that point? So at least that is a little interesting. Well, if we were doing the bracket right now, they'd both be in consideration for one. Like, Virginia would obviously get one, and I think you could make a really – solid argument for Duke as well. I mean, uh, you'd be talking Kentucky automatically gets one. Virginia automatically gets one. I think Gonzaga probably does. I, 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 you could debate that. I know people would, but, I, um, you, you know, I think Gonzaga probably would. And then, like, what else? Who else are we talking about? Wisconsin. 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 I think you could get. give it to Wisconsin because you could say they got one bad loss and – Kaminsky didn't play like you could sort of right. if you wanted to you know, put an asterisk on asterisk on that you could and so um but yeah I think like right now Duke's Duke's in play for a one seed and so do they have a chance to get there of course they do and if the ACC gets uh, you know the idea that the ACC might get two ones that that would make a whole lot of sense to me there's a lot of power and if, um, and if Notre Dame hadn't have lost if Notre Dame had not have lost at Pittsburgh they right. would absolutely be in that conversation right sure. now as well because they'd only have two yep. losses to you know Virginia, and it would have been Providence on a neutral, and the Friars are are bound for the tournament at this point. Too. Yeah, Providence on a neutral by a point, and then um, to Virginia, was that an overtime game? Uh, no, or, but it was no, a close. It game. was a that close was game. Yeah, it was a close yeah. game, right? And then um, yeah, I mean the, the Notre Dame thing that that just that's just your classic letdown, right? Yeah, I think so. Except uh, you know Pitt's all you know. I know Pitt's not good this year, but there's there's still. Like it's, it's a still, hard, it's a hard place to win. But it like, is a hard place mm-hmm. to win. Um, Do you see the record against top ten teams all time in that building? It's like fourteen. It's wild. It's like fourteen and three or some, or maybe like a yeah. I mean, it's like top ten teams lose there all the time. So um, I, I think it was a little surprising given what Louisville had just done to Pitt in that building, but still, um, yes. it wasn't that surprising because you combine letdown with you know Peterson Events Center and you get what you get. Let's go back to the state of Virginia uh, for a second. Sad news um, yesterday. VCU's Briante Weber suffered a torn ACL and MCL. He's a senior. His college career is now done. Just awful news. He loses the opportunity to break um, the NCAA's record, Division One record for steals, and he would have broken it. He was only 12 away. He had six yesterday before he got hurt. So, like, he, he could have theoretically broken it in the next, you know, two or three games. Now he never will. Um, also, it, it means VCU's down a key player, arguably the most important player uh, from a team that I think was Final, final Four capable. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's tough to think of another career-ending injury uh, that hurts um, – on multiple levels like this. Um, Kenyon Martins is an obvious one at Cincinnati when that team was going to be the number one overall seed and the favorite to win a national championship. I mean, Hugs, Hugs probably has a national championship right now if Kenyon Martin doesn't break his leg at the pyramid. And, um, you know, Kendall Marshall a few years ago, um, obviously they would have been the, uh, probably the biggest threat to Kentucky in 2012 if he doesn't suffer that wrist-hand injury. 
Um, but this one's just, uh, it's just, I, I hate to throw around terms like this because it can sound sort of silly, but like it really is heartbreaking. You know, like that's a, a college career done, an opportunity to set an NCAA record gone. And given the fact that Bree isn't an obvious NBA player, like he, he, he can get there maybe, <laughs> but yeah. you know, there's certainly no guarantees. In fact, the odds are probably stacked against him for a variety of reasons. It is possible that he has played his last relevant basketball game in this country. You know, like he could be in the D League or go overseas, but he's played his last relevant basketball game in the in this country, uh, maybe. And to have that happen so abruptly, I just you know, yeah, I talked to the VCU staff last night, and they said he was, um, you know, he was um, reacting to the news about the way you would expect somebody whose career was abruptly finished um, would. And so, like, just just sad to hear, right, Norlander? Yeah, so very sad. Like it, to me, it was a given he was going to pass it. Um, you didn't assume that Bree would go out this way. He is uh, what's what's been intriguing to me about Briante Weber is that, and, and basically, steel specialists are players that I'm always fascinated by because it's one of the top things that every scouting report. Um, it's just one of those obvious things coaches pick up on, warn their players about. But the guys that really can do it, you just cannot stop them. They are going to mm-hmm. get their swipes, and it's going to happen no matter how much you try and avoid against it. And Weber, who has been a premier uh, all-around defender, in my opinion, I mean, he's been good in the full court, man on man, getting into the lanes. To me, his nose for the ball in many different defensive facets are the reason why he's even you know debated as a, an NBA player at this point because he is. He is that smart on that end of the floor, and he has gotten better. I mean, he's led he, – his season's done, so barring any sort of ridiculous defensive performance from a top-five guy, which isn't going to happen, he'll have played at VCU for four years and led the nation not only in steals but actually in steals percentage. So, And this was his best year. I mean, 8.7% of possessions he was in on, he was stealing the ball away from his opponents, which is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, more than two – possession points higher than he was last year um so yeah no definitely heartbreaking and then big picture i mean i don't know how high or not high sam was relatively on the rams but i mean trevion graham is uh, certainly uh, in the running for a 10 player of the year um and maybe mm-hmm. overall he was there he's their most important player but briante was certainly a lot of that heart and soul so i i would not consider vcu final four worthy now i think if with this kind of situation Making the Sweet 16, even though that locker room will have those expectations from our kind of national perch and maybe fans' perch, if you don't have Briante, such a big part of that defensive identity, get to the second weekend, it turns into a successful year. Yeah, you know, I was at mm-hmm. VCU back in November and, um, you know, I went to a practice. It was after they beat Tennessee at the Naval Academy and before they were getting ready to play. I don't know, somebody. And so I was there, and it was a Sunday afternoon practice. And, um, you know, Shaka actually asked me to, like, speak to the team. So I spoke I spoke to the team. And a lot of the stuff we talked about was um, – I, I had told a story about Tony Allen uh, to Shaka just, like, at dinner the night before. We were talking about Tony Allen, and, you know, we were talking about the Grizzlies because of where I live. And it's sort of as the story goes, it was like, you know, like Tony Allen – one time I was at a Grizzlies game earlier this year, and they were playing – New Orleans and Eric Gordon, you know, he played uh, plays for New Orleans and 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 Tony was just consumed with Eric Gordon. Like he would walk over to us 
because we sit, you know, I sit right on, you know, press row, right on the court, and he'll, and I got a stats monitor right in front of me, and I'm right by the Grizzlies bench, and um, he he would walk over to me like every other timeout and be like, "What's Eric Gordon? One of eight? I'd be like, "Yeah." He goes, "Okay, okay, okay." What? Okay, what is he now from the from three? You know, he just kept he was he was keeping track in his head, and then kind of wanted to confirm what he was keeping track. Meantime, he's actually getting a double double. Tony is like, you know, twelve points, eleven rebounds, something like that. After the game, he had no idea he had a double-double. He had no idea what his numbers were, but he knew Eric Gordon's exactly. And I was like, why are you so consumed with Eric Gordon? And he was like, oh, I don't you know. I don't know. I was just like, and I went and looked it up. Like, Eric Gordon had really got off on him one game last year, and he's never forgot about that. And the point I was sort of making is that, you know, this is a guy who, I don't know if anybody understands their identity in the NBA better than Tony Allen. Like, he's not there. You know, he, he actually, you know, said one time, he said, listen, I would love to take 15 shots a game. Nobody's going to pay me $5 million to do that. You know, I'd love to be the primary option or even an option on offense for an NBA team. But nobody's going to pay me to do that. The only thing they pay me to do is shut down perimeter guys. And so that's all I care about. That's all I try to do. And if I can get a backdoor cut layup every once in a while, that's fine too. And so I, Shaka was like, talk to my guys about that. Tell them that story. Because they all think they're going to the NBA. And none of them are as good as Tony Allen was even in college. And, and Who was ridiculous in college. That's the way. other thing people don't yeah. remember. He was the Big 12 Player of the Year. Like he was awesome in college. And, uh, and so Shaka just sort of wanted me to like tell the, you know, sort of explain to these guys that this is a guy who was the big 12 player of the year. And he is basically not allowed to shoot on an, on his NBA team. He, but he makes $5 million a year strictly because of what he could do in very, in one very specific area. And so uh, it was Briante that really was into this conversation and oddly, and I'm not sure why. Um, you know, Bree told me he was a he's actually a Grizzlies fan. And so he was really interested in this Tony Allen story and how it all went down. And it's one of the things that they had tried to, to, to hammer into him. Like, stop. You're never going to make it to the NBA because of the way you shoot or because of the way you dribble or because of the way you do anything other than the way you can guard. If you get there to be that. So try to be the best you can be at that. And don't even worry about the other stuff really that much because that other stuff ain't going to matter anyway. If you can do this one thing really well, then then there's there's somebody will pay you to do it. And um, and, and so like, I, I you know, I, I just always remember him being really, obs not obsessed, but really interested in, in that Tony Allen story. And he had gone out this year and, and been as good as he could possibly be defensively, mm -hmm. maybe the best defensive player in the country, probably the best perimeter defender in, in the country. He was doing all of the things that you'd like to see um, a young prospect do if the goal is to try to make money doing this and just for it to all come apart randomly on a Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon. It was just, just a shit. Like when I first saw it on Twitter, because I was at the St. Louis UMass game, it was like, uh, Briante's down doesn't look good. I was like, ah, oh, shit. And then, like, you know, I get the text message last night, tore everything. It's like not just a yeah. season-ending knee injury. I mean, yeah. it, it yeah. is wrecked his entire uh, mm -hmm. knee. Uh, Sam, let me ask you, does he have a pro future? Is, is Was he even on people's radar? Uh, yeah. I mean, he was definitely on my radar. I had him at number 83. Um, I just published my, like, literally right as we went live on this podcast, I published my big board. And he's still listed on there because I finalized it on Friday. But... I'll probably drop him off just because I, I'm I don't know what to do like yeah. as far as his knee like I'm not a doctor and you would think that that's going to affect his quickness and athleticism like going forward like he's probably not going to be able to do draft workouts. At well, this no, point. he definitely won't be able to do draft yeah. workouts. Yeah. So I mean, he's going to fall off my top 100. He's probably 
going to be, he'll probably go to the D league next year. You would think assuming that like everything works out, but the injury just sucks. If, yeah. if you remember, if you guys remember uh, at the beginning of the season, I did all defensive teams for right. CBS sports.com, like preseason, yeah. all defensive teams. He was my defensive player of the year preseason. And he was like, he's, outperformed what I expected of him even like it's just an he's an incredible defender he's incredibly there are few players in like the his like I don't want to say the history of college basketball like in the last decade that I've like really 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 watched college basketball he is probably like in my top five players just to watch just because of like how fun he is to watch on the floor he's so intense he is just so into the game he's so into defending people like he's would sorry to cut you off, Sam, but I would just say he is the he is the model player that you know that embodies what their havoc scheme is about. Yep. And I, I think that staff would tell you if they're even able to get someone that's eighty percent of what Briante is able capable of, and you know, physically and mentally in terms of approach, uh, they'd be forever grateful because I think he he's just he is the absolute perfect fit for that system. So, uh, uh, remember, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now uh, redesigned with Squarespace 7 interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages. And uh, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts just $8 a month. It includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, uh, so your content's gonna look great on every device every time. You wanna start a free trial, no credit card required. Uh, just go to squarespace.com, enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off and to show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. At Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. Let's do some news and notes presented by Squarespace, and let's start with um, an interesting scene in Gainesville yesterday. Um, just a wild press conference where Arkansas coach Mike Anderson like went in, not just on officiating, but like on a, a very sp- on a specific official, like by name. And it was all rooted in this controversial call. Um, you know, in the final seconds. First off, let me ask because I don't know. You guys both saw the the foul. Uh, I saw right. the call. I didn't see the foul. Oh, that's I what I mean. <laughs> you yeah. saw the call. We all agree, like there, there was no foul, right? No foul. That was a brutal. I mean, that was, it was um, brutal. It wasn't, and it wasn't just a bad call. It was a bad call that literally cost Arkansas yes. a road win. I mean, it, yes. like I know people love to say, and I'll never understand why people say this. By the way, people will say, "Well, you know, that one play didn't didn't cost anybody the game." There's a lot of plays in the game. Well, sometimes, yeah, one thing actually can cost you a game. Um, you know, like, uh, like if. If like that, like like yesterday, like that call cost them the game because like you 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 call it the right way, which is a no call. Uh, then the, the the buzzer sounds and the game is over, and Arkansas leaves with a one point win. Instead, they leave with a one point loss. And so, yes. I, when people say, "Well, you know, it's never just one call that can cost you the game," sometimes it absolutely is, or it's never just one shot that you know costs you. Sometimes it is, and that one call costs them the game. Still, you rarely see head coaches go in on officials as specifically and directly as Mike did. But you know what? Like, I can't even blame him. At some point, like, you just got to, particularly if you think you got a bad whistle all day. And I didn't watch the game because I was, you know, I was, I was otherwise occupied. But um, my my understanding is Mike felt like they got a bad whistle the whole game. But um, 
you know, when when a something like that happens and it's just a an awful call that literally cost you a win on the road in a time where you're under pressure to get to the NCAA tournament and perform in it, I don't have any issue uh, with Mike going in, and and though you know he will be disciplined in some way by the SEC office, um, that official should be disciplined in some way too because he changed the outcome of a game. Am I wrong here? Yeah, no. Uh, this is a uh, well. One, Florida was only called for eleven team fouls, so this you know that was the uh, the final. The, the fact that this came at the end, it was a bad call. Um, the game, it wasn't brutal. Like whereas like um, in the Carolina Louisville game, Carolina fans really felt like they were getting hosed, and they might have had a little bit of case there because the foul discrepancy was so huge. In this one, it was just eighteen to eleven. Um, but that final play was the wrong call. One as a media member, I'm always more than happy when and if uh, a coach is willing to say something like this after a game, just because it makes good copy. But overall, um, generally speaking, I feel like college basketball officials aren't too too headstrong um sometimes there are certain guys that have developed those reputations and rightfully so and i like when a coach just does not have fear of any sort of rep- retribution or fine you know for all we know mike anderson is is maybe some booster will <laughs> we'll do him a solid on the side and essentially pay him back one way or another down the road <laughs> yeah but well, he's a multi-millionaire with a brand new contract yeah, like, whatever. he's like, fine yeah, exactly. So you know what? Like when you get wronged, like freaking call the guys out. I'm totally for this. Um, officials, yeah, they get flack from fans, but that's to be expected. It's baked into the culture of the sport and all sports. But there are certainly times when the wrong calls are made. And I'm telling you, if officials simply just weren't afraid to just quickly own up to it and say they were wrong, if you don't have repeat violations of this kind of stuff that really affects your job, then it's it's better for everyone. Um, but until we get that kind of stuff, yeah, anytime a coach wants to call a guy out for making the wrong call, I'm all for it. And that was a brutal call. That's the difference. Like Arkansas is still on track to make the tournament. I sure. think they will. But if they win that game yesterday, it's a it's a quality road win that essentially buries Florida's hopes and kind of firmly puts the Hogs at two in the SEC overall. They're still okay, but th- that was clearly like when you're dying for road wins of quality and conference play and you have one that's ripped from you, yeah, you're going to be pissed. Right. For, for a program that struggled on the road as much as they've struggled on the road under yeah. Mike, um, to, to be in a position where you're getting that win, beyond that, it enhances your tournament resume in a significant way. Beyond that, and, and you know, I know some people don't care about this stuff, but I have forever believed that it matters, if only because you show up on the tickers on different networks. But, like, it cost them a place in the top 25, too. Like, they would have been in sure. the top 25 on Monday. And so, um, yeah, I you know, like, I have no issue with a coach. You know, if a coach just wants to bitch about, oh, you know, we, we, got, we got a bad – like, I don't need to hear that. But when it's something very specific – that literally cost you a game, go in on the guy if you want to. And, you know, to your point about uh, officials, like, admitting a mistake, like, that's the way this one ought to go down. They ought to just come back and say, look, clearly it wasn't a foul, but, you know, it's, it's a human error, and we're going to have that. You know, we're going to have that in in basketball. It's unfortunate that it happened. Just sort of own up to it. I mean, at this point, mm-hmm. you know, we have HD televisions. Like, we can tell <laughs> it's, not, it's not a foul. I have actually heard, and I thought this was neat, sitting courtside at games, I've actually heard officials tell coaches before, like, I missed it. You know, like... Like, yes. yeah, and I've, I'm always impressed by that. And it basically takes all the bullets out of the coach's gun. Like the coach is red, is firing at you. Like, how did you, you know, how did you make that call? How did you make that call? Or how did you not make that call? How did you not make that call? You, blah, blah, blah. And the coach is going in and the ref walks over and goes, hey, I missed it. Okay. I missed it. Yeah. What do you want me to say? 
and then it's over with. Like, okay, you missed it. At least you're owning up to it. I can, I think I, I know I can respect that. I think most coaches can, but uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not the guy who gets, who gets, um, in, you know, furious about, you know, the, the lack of quality officiating in college basketball, but that was a pretty, that was a bad moment and a bad moment that mattered in a, in a, in a very real way. Um, Sam, Utah bounced back from its awful performance that you witnessed um, at UCLA the other night with a 67 39 win at USC. And so now USC, like we've talked about Utah enough, whatever, but I'm interested yeah. in your thoughts. You live in LA. USC is now one and eight in the PAC 12. They are lower at Ken Palm than USC upstate. In other words, <laughs> USC nice. is ranked. All right, good, good fact right here. USC is ranked lower than USC upstate. And so, like, um, I'm a I'm an Andy Enfield believer. Like I thought that was a great hire. I didn't think it was mm-hmm. a knee jerk reaction to some magical run. I thought the magical run made people look at Andy's resume. And when you look at his resume, you go, "Wow, there's some really interesting stuff here." It made as much sense as anything else USC could do. But it's undeniably not going well. Like, uh, how does this thing end up? Is Andy Enfield coaching USC t- two years from now? Oh, I think it's going to depend a lot on. I mean, they're first off, they're a really young team. Sure. At this- like they are like freshmen and sophomores, and then uh, Kate and Reinhardt, who is a transfer in from UNLV, okay, right. who's a little bit older. Um, but yeah, it's a really young team. I think it's just going to depend on the way that their freshmen come in next year. I think that next year is going to be the year where they need to show some progress. Like that, you're going to have your own guys in there. If you're Andy Enfield, you're going to have some juniors at least that are pretty strong. You're going to have Jordan McLaughlin, who will like be your. I don't know if he'll be a star, but he'll be your guy at least. Um, so I think that next year is going to be the year where he has to start showing some improvement. I mean, I'll say this, like the, the feel around Los Angeles is that like, even though UCLA sucks, it's, it's still like the UCLA is still the team in uh, Los Angeles. Like no one, no one talks about USC at all. Like you would think that this season could have been a pretty good opportunity for USC to make a mark and really, uh, really stamp their foot in uh, like the Los Angeles area, because Andy Enfield bought like some sort of billboard, didn't he? Whenever, uh, whenever he first got this job about like how he wanted to take back Los Angeles hoops. Oh, he did all sorts of things. And yeah, stuff. like that was that was before I lived here. Even like whenever he first got this job, he got this job, and then I moved in like probably a few months later. Um, there was the uh, Sam. Were you, do you remember when? Uh, remember when Enfield said that thing, kind of just off color at a practice, and some reporter was there and kind of took liberty with it. Remember that GP? Well, there was, was like, we don't there, play like that at UCLA. Or yeah, we don't, if you, hey, we're gonna, yeah. Well, he's done a few of those. Like he said, he, had he, two, he, he, had it, he, he had basically it. pissed off everybody. Like he, um, the first one he said is like they're in practice and you know they're getting up and down and the kids aren't running. You know they're not running and so uh, he he yells at some point. Um, we don't jog here. If you want to walk and jog, go play UCLA. That's what yeah. they do. We play fast here. And so, um, of course, that you know that was a practice moment that all coaches have. And like some reporter who didn't understand that, right? You know, that like, um, dude, I've sat in on so many John Calipari practices. Like, if I w- started uh, writing every word that it was um, mumbled or yelled, like John <laughs> would have been fired like fifty times by now. Like, you know, right. it's, it, that's the way coaches talk, right? And and it's the way coaches motivate. Uh, and so, yeah, that I, that was a reporter mistake more than an Andy Enfield mistake. But then he also at a booster club. He uh, meeting or some sort of function. He was talking about Tim Floyd. That's what it was. Yeah, Floyd. And right. he that said, was in Hawaii. I think it was at that. Wasn't that the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii? Maybe. I no, heard. it was before that. But then they were out. USC and UTEP were both in that event. 
There we go. And they got face to face there and like Floyd yep. confronted him like at a dinner, like at a pre-tournament dinner. Like Floyd, like, you know, they they exchanged words. But um, but the the thing there was basically and and keep in mind this like everything Indy Infield says is, is kind of been true. It's just not stuff that you 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 expect to read that a coach has said publicly because he really didn't say him publicly. But like about Tim, he's he was like, you know, yeah, Tim Floyd, you know, he was trying to get this job. You know, he wanted this job and um, and you know, because, and he's just, uh, somebody asked like, why is Tim Floyd pissed off at him or something? He was like, ah, well, Tim wanted this job, you know? And so now he's mad. He has to live in El Paso for another year or two. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and then Floyd was all, nobody talks about El Paso. Nobody talks about El Paso <laughs> like that. Yeah. Right. It's so funny. Like, uh, yeah, Infield must've just on some level been like, what in the world is happening? Like I'm saying all these things like to my buddies and to my players. I didn't think this stuff was going to get out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> so. So anyway, those were funny stories. I, I, I'd be, I'd be interested if he. I've always thought, at least always thought in recent years, like that USC program can be good. Like Tim had it going, yeah. and then it, you know, it fell apart for you know NCAA well, reasons. He, but he had it going. Yes, had it going, and then it fell apart, and here we are. But um, I, I mean, the Galen Center is, is uh, Sam. I'm assuming you've been there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. So, it's a really nice arena. Really yeah. nice. Yeah, really nice college basketball arena. It's USC. It's Southern California. Like, there's no reason you – like, people will say, well, you can't be good at USC. And that is speaking from a historical perspective. But, like, from a, all the stuff that actually matters in the year 2015 perspective, like, there's no reason you can't be good at USC. And so it, um, I think it would be good for the Pac-12 and, and good for college basketball in general if that, if that school were relevant, if Andy were relevant again. But, again, not, not going so well right now. The 60 – uh, basically a 30-point loss to Utah um, on Sunday afternoon. Let's wrap up with this. Monday night's got a couple of um, interesting games. Virginia at North Carolina um, is one of them. We talked about Virginia earlier. Both these teams now coming off a loss. It's going to be a coin flip game, even though it is played um, in Chapel Hill. I suspect the point spread will be you know, a point either way, um, but it'll basically be a coin flip game. The other one, of course, is Iowa State at uh, Kansas. These two teams played on a Saturday night a few weeks ago, and Iowa State, of course, pulled away um, late and won. Um, but uh, is this the revenge game? I mean, it should be an unbelievable uh, atmosphere at Allen Fieldhouse, and I suspect Kansas probably wins a close one. That makes the most sense, right, Norlander? And yes, I think Kansas will win. Um, give me Kansas kind of somewhat comfortably, like uh, eight to ten points. And if and when that happens, I mean, Kansas is going to be eight and one. I mean, West Virginia has done a great job, and perhaps on a future podcast, we'll really give Huggins his due with this team that only has three losses. But um, that's basically going to be the only hopeful, and I just don't see this West Virginia team catching Kansas, which means remarkably, in what you could very well claim to be the toughest Big Twelve ever, um, of course. I mean, Kansas, if they win tomorrow night, they're going to win the, you know, sole possession or share of first place in the Big 12 regular season for the 11th straight year. Uh, I'm just continually awed by that. I, I really believe I will, you know, never see in any conference this duplicated again. Ever yeah, hey, again. Like, like no exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Will anybody in a power conference ever win 11 state conference titles again? I say no. No, no, no. It won't happen. It won't happen in any conference. Ever like, again. Like the tiny conferences, like Gonzaga doesn't even get to do this. Like it's really Oh, I think I could envision a scenario where Gonzaga could do it. But 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 I mean like in a power conference? Mm. I, I don't think this will ever happen yeah. again. No. Crazy. No. 
And I'm even someone that like, I wasn't sold on this Kansas team. I was probably lower on them for longer than any, either of you guys were at least. And probably like generally the like journalism, journalist community, I was lower on them than anyone. And I, I still just like, I'm sold on them now. They're an incredible team. They, yeah, they're, just, they're, in, they're just awesome. Frank Mason is, has been one of the most improved players in the country. Kelly Oubre is coming on. I, I still don't understand what's going on with Cliff Alexander, but whatever. Um, it's, they're just a really good team. They they defend pretty well compared to it's not like the same Bill Self team that he's had in the past defensively, but they're starting to really get down and defend well. The offense is good. It's it's just a really really impressive job that Bill Self's done. No, it's been together. it's been a, it's been a tremendous coaching job. I mean, l- uh, listen, yeah. I know that he's got a Kelly Oubre and he's got Cliff Alexander Perry. He's got players, right? I mean, he's Bill Self. He coached the Kansas. He's going to have players. Um, but from where this team was early. How mm-hmm. about this? When you start with a team and you don't even know who your players ought to be, you don't even know who your what your rotations are, you are really learning on the fly. Like, you had to figure it out on the fly. Now, again, it's it's easier to figure it out when you've got really talented dudes. But still, you from mm-hmm. if you ask Bill – you talk to Bill Self in the preseason and say, okay, walk me through your rotations. Who's going to be your most important players? He might have had an idea. It has all changed. Everything about that team has changed yep. um, from November to you know February first, and um, and that's coaching. That's all you ask yeah. college basketball coaches to do is enroll as talented guys as you can, and then like develop them, develop them into a team. Like get, you know, we it's sort of a cliche. People say you know, well you you know teams get better throughout. You know, teams always get better. No, teams don't always get better, and some actually get worse. <laughs> and this right. is a Kansas team that is actually getting better, noticeably that, and tangibly uh, better. And it's been a, you know, um, a hell of a coaching job. We hear all the time about, you know, should John Calipari be national coach of the year, Tony Bennett. I, and how could I argue against either one of those guys? But, but Bill deserves to be in that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. What he's doing. One yeah. One, I mean, if they win this, yeah. I, I don't remember if you mentioned him, GP, but just to circle back sure, and yeah. wrap up, they win this game, um, they, they will be a one seed uh, projected. I think Palm had him as a one on Friday anyway, just because they're uh, both are traditional and, and te- tempo-free. RPI, they're number one. Right. Ken Palm, they're number one strength of schedule. Uh, so there's little doubt about it. If they were to beat Iowa State, they'd be, you know, as long as they won the Big 12 uh, and dodged any, like, crazy losses, they'll probably be in a good spot for a, a number one. Right, right. All yeah. right, well, well, I kept you guys here long enough, so let's get out of here. Uh, remember, uh, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the uh, quickest way to get your hands on the latest podcast, so make sure to do that. And also... A uh, bit of a note, if you care, we're going to start doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcasts. So we've been doing a basically Monday morning and Friday morning. We're now going to try to do Monday, Wednesday, and uh, Friday um, as often as possible. You know what? I won't even qualify. We're going to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one way or another. So check back with us uh, Wednesday. Until then, uh, take care.